And welcome to PodPod, the podcast all about podcasting. My name is Rihanna Dillon and I'm joined this week by Matt Hill, who runs Rethink Audio and is the co-founder of the British Podcast Awards, and Adam Shepherd, editor of PodPod. Hello to you both. Hello. 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 How's it going? Yes, very well. I'm actually, I'm just looking at my wrapped for podcasters thing from Spotify. Oh. Um, I know we're going to talk about it now and I suddenly thought, oh, I could actually see how things like Happy Place are doing on Spotify and um, and that's always well I, you've got to click through quite a lot of stuff don't you and it's all very fancy mm. graphics so I'll, I'll, I'll give you an update later right so we'll leave you to keep <laughs> clicking yes it is wrapped season so what did you get Adam you wrapped so I love Spotify wrapped I think it's a wonderful piece of kind of data storytelling from mm-hmm. Spotify uh, sadly my wrapped is purely music because I am a devoted Google Podcasts man for my personal podcast listening so it's only ever a handful of Spotify exclusives that come up on my Spotify wrapped for podcasting so what were you listening to music wise what was your top song my top song was Warren Zevon because I am a transplant from the 70s, evidently. Um, <laughs> as anyone who has seen my hair can probably attest. Uh, <laughs> but I, I really like Spotify Wrapped as a concept. I think it's it's actually really valuable sort of framing of of data for people that that haven't really dug into sort of analytics as a as a kind of concept it's a really nice introduction to that side of things Mm, i mean i know you didn't ask but mine was um (laughs) music for a sushi restaurant by harry styles so that just shows how cool i am the most listens apparently was on august the 20th 2022 which was my wedding day. Now, I'm really... <laughs> no, now this really confuses me because I had some music going in the morning while I was getting ready. Did my phone just keep playing Harry Styles on repeat while I was at my wedding without me? Do you think this is what happened? I think possibly, or maybe it's later in the evening uh, <laughs> after a couple of rounds of toasts. <laughs> uh, yeah, this was the only song that I would allow people to dance to. <laughs> just that one. I do urge people to have a look at their Spotify for Podcasters account this week, though, because mm. there are some really interesting insights for people who are creating podcasts and are kind of on the front end of the publishing side. Uh, so, as I said, sort of just looking at the Happy Place one, you just get a few more insights than you might have noticed throughout the year. So they've got this slide, which is something magical happened between January 9th and January 15th. You had 59% more listeners compared to your average week. And when I think back to that time, we did a feed swap with High Performance Podcast at the time and Uh did a massive churn of audience between those two shows. So on Spotify alone, 59% more listeners compared to the average week. And that actually changed the the kind of demographics of both podcasts, interestingly, over that time. So one was more female heavy and one was more male heavy. And actually that kind of evened out and they're both both quite gender neutral shows now Mm. so really interesting to see how that kind of gets reflected in the year on on spotify and what else can we learn about the charts adam because that's kind of been released as well that kind of top performing podcasts Spotify, as as part of this, published the most popular podcasts, both globally and for individual countries. And for the UK, half of the top 10 were Spotify originals or exclusives, which is up from just two out of 10 
last year. So clearly Spotify's strategy of kind of going hard on acquisitions and on uh, exclusivity deals with podcasters is paying off in a big way. Mm. Uh, So the top five in the UK were The Fellas at number five, Call Her Daddy, Off Menu with Ed Gamble and James Acaster, which is a fabulous podcast, uh, Diary of a CEO with Stephen Bartlett, and of course, The Joe Rogan Experience at number one, which continues to be an unassailable juggernaut in terms of popularity. Absolutely incredible. You have to say, though, it is very much... A shopping list, that top 10 for Spotify. Absolutely. And you can imagine throughout the year, they look at their top 50 and say, well, what should we acquire next? So so there's, it's sort of no coincidence that uh, so many exclusives are in the top 10. In fact, number seven on the top 10 is Parenting Hell with Rob Beckett and Josh Widdicombe, which, of course, mm. Spotify picked up as an exclusive uh, last month, I think. Yeah, you can look at it and go, well, Shagged Married Annoyed is at number eight. So did they approach both and keep it like media were the ones that kind of went for it? Do they need two effectively parenting podcasts? Probably not. So um, to have bagged one uh, from the top 10 is, is probably very shrewd. Mm. So we talked, I think, on the podcast before about how Spotify has taken over um, pre-existing podcasts and moved them over to Spotify as Spotify exclusives originals and then changed them or swapped over presenters or you know really kind of move things around but actually the the charts at the moment are implying that the ones that are still performing incredibly well are the ones that have not changed that still have the same presenters that still have the same setup is that right it certainly seems to be i think spotify's position as both a platform and a publisher has allowed it this really great opportunity to be able to take the best performing shows and then put a rocket under them by giving them front page access on the, on their app and everything uh, and you look at other players in the space and they don't really have that unique position that Spotify do you know you could argue that BBC Sounds if it were to open up to more podcasts on their player could have a similar way of spotting talent and bringing them into the BBC. That would be an interesting thing to happen. Mm-hmm. Audible potentially could do something like that as well. But really, Spotify has led the way in terms of being able to identify what's up and coming and then supercharging it. That's some really interesting food for thought, actually, with uh, how other platforms can look at what Spotify doing and perhaps do it in a slightly different way. So we haven't introduced yet who we're going to be speaking to on the podcast today. It's Ed Morish and Rosie Holt from the Nonsensored with Rosie Holt podcast. So comedian Rosie Holt embraces the far right political commentator Harriet Langley Swindon in this interview series, which is kind of in the same vein as satirical characters like I don't know Ali G or Borat you know anything that Sasha Baron Cohen has done basically Chris Morris um the day-to-day brass eye um so there is a kind of long-standing history I suppose with this kind of interview series and it's very much skewering that kind of right-wing sort of talking head punditry, right, in the vein of GB News and, you know, Piers Morgan and those kinds of commentators. And I think Ed Morish is a seasoned radio comedy producer. Yes. Worked for many years with John Finnamore on his uh, comedy shows for Radio 4. It was interesting talking to him about the way in which he's had to budget his time and uh, resource 
for uh, the podcast world to make something sustainable that can be done every week and still be really funny. And luckily, Rosie Holt is, you know, she's actually, I just seen that she's going on tour, something called the woman's hour. So I'm intrigued to (laughs) see what that's going to be about. But anyway, (laughs) here they are, Ed Morish and Rosie Holt talking all about nonsense. Welcome, guys, to PodPod. Hello. Hi. Thank you for having us. I'm very excited to talk to you in person as Rosie Holt because I'm so used to hearing you as <laughs> Harriet. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit, Rosie, about the conception of Harriet Langley Swindon, where she came from? So Harriet Langley Swindon was a character I came up with originally on Twitter. Where all the best ideas Where are. all the best ideas come up. Where I put up a video, it was during the Black Lives Matter protests, and I put up a video of a woman getting very angry at the fact that all these statues were being torn down and she said they're erasing history just like Stalin did, who incidentally I have a statue of in my garden. And it kind of um, went viral. And then I did more videos of this woman who was basically a kind of one of these right-wing talking heads that you see who have very strong opinions and maybe their opinions don't make sense and maybe they contradict themselves from one minute to the next but they're very strong and they're very sure so that was where she sort of originally came from and I think part of where the idea of her came from was listening to various shock jocks on things like talk radio and GB news and so inevitably it seemed like a good idea to give her her own show. And that's where the podcast came in. And so you have another character, producer Martin. Yes. Who is not producer Ed, who is with us here. No, producer Ed is real producer. Is a real producer. (laughs) (laughs) Producer Martin is definitely not. So tell us about how Brendan Murphy and you started to work together then in creating that format. So me and Brendan have worked together before. So we're very comfortable working together. We did a show called The Crown Jewel, which was a, a parody of Netflix The Crown, where we did it on stage and we performed all the characters, including the corgis. Oh my God. And... Um, they got very good reviews in London and we were about, before the pandemic, we were about to take it to America for six months. And then that oh, fell through, um, obviously, because uh, the world stopped. We, you know, we work very well together and we're used to sort of improvising and things like that. So we like the idea of, of Harriet having a foil who's quite sort of mild mannered and sweet and doesn't want to put his foot in it. And it just seemed like a good dynamic So the idea being that producer Martin is a sort of slightly woolly centrist, you could say, but he's he he means well and he's aware that he's sort of looking after this rather explosive, awful character, um, (laughs) but isn't quite sure how to to manage it. You could kind of think something that goes viral on Twitter might not necessarily make a natural move to podcasting. So how did you decide on that format and then how did you approach Ed with it? I mean, you're right, but I think with her, it always seemed, I think a kind of podcast actually is sort of her natural home because the the, the thing about putting videos out on Twitter is you're not bouncing off anyone, really. She just give these little two-minute monologues, which are great, but not terribly sustainable. Yeah. And the idea of giving her a whole world was quite exciting and how she'd interact if she was interviewing people or debating issues I can't remember how we came up with the idea, but I remember when we did and we got really excited because we thought, we very quickly thought, oh God, we could get, you know, we could get, we know so many 
good comedians and actors we could get into play various people and then we could interview real people and and it just seemed a very fun concept and then when we came up with that we approached various people one of which was ed and then ed was wonderful and it was just a no no brainer really though i have to say that because ed's here yeah no but also, <laughs> but also it's true <laughs> um well ed tell us about then from your perspective how easy it was to make something that was so successful in these short viral clips into a podcast? What we were trying to find was a sustainable production schedule because um, we're not funded by anyone. There is no money in this. We've started to get adverts, but there's, you know, everything is unpaid mm. or, um, you know, we pay for the design, we pay for the music. So we're, we're technically in debt at this point. Mm-hmm. So you go, well, if there's no money to pay for people's time, what can we do for free and what is sustainable? And we actually did a pilot. We went to a studio because we were trying to find a way. So if we did like a day a month and we stacked up recordings and then I can release them weekly. And unfortunately, all the best bits were topical. Like yeah. you just want to hear what she has to say on the news this week. Yes. And so we were looking for a thing that we could go, well, what can we make knowing we've got no money? And we, we, you know, we can't turn down paid work particularly to, to, to make this happen. So we've got a very flexible schedule that... You know, last week we recorded Rosie's voiceover on Friday morning, like an hour before it went out. Oh, wow. And this week I was out last night, so they recorded the voiceover without me and I just stuck it in when I got home and now that's all scheduled. And comedically, uh, I think it's the introduction of the other voices. So Martin and Harriet bounce off each other for, you know, a minute, minute and a half between, Mm. let's call them sketches. But then we had Paul Dunphy from Larry and Paul being one of President Trump's lawyers. We spend about 10 minutes before we hit record going, okay, so the joke is we're just going to throw legal cases at you and you're going to explain why they're bullshit. Yeah. And, of course, he just threw in a a hell of a lot of sniffing. Um, (laughs) But he's not a real – he's not pretending to be a lawyer. He's uh, a real – one of his real lawyers. He's – you know, we've made up a name. Yeah. and then um, Ishan Akbar, who's sort of the third regular, he's always in for a sort of parody of the way that the media presents debates because he always runs rings around Martin despite saying, you know, he knows what he's saying is rubbish, but what you enjoy is the debate. And it's throwing those other people's ideas that makes it sustainable. If You know, when Rosie does a video, they're two minutes mm-hmm. and that's the jokes that she wrote. Whereas if you go here are some ideas for jokes, let's bounce them around. They will go off in unexpected areas. And suddenly, you know, we're getting better, but we were recording like 15 minutes and then trying to get that down to six, seven. Right. So that so that we're not giving people an, an hour long podcast. We're giving them 40, 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. That was really hard. You, you're losing so much good stuff. And now we're getting better and we're only going about 10 minutes. So you only have to like nip out the ums and ers and yeah. one joke that didn't quite work out. Or uh, in the case of Paul, when you lost him yeah. last night, just the line cut. Oh, you were like, it's the FBI. <laughs> no, I cut all that. But yeah, so it's finding though that's the sustainable thing. And because, we, you know, we've just got mates so we can, text you know we, we set up a conservative leadership debate with Suze Kempner being Nadine Doris mm-hmm. Charlie George as Suella Braverman and Ahir Shah as Rishi Sunak the number of people who tweeted at me to say I it took me over a minute to realize that wasn't really Rishi Sunak <laughs> despite the fact that Ahir was not doing a voice really? he was not doing the impression <laughs> he was just doing his own voice so when he, you know, it lies like um, people in this country have had a really tough time for the last 12 years for no reason. Like <laughs> that sort of joke. Wasn't expecting that, but he threw it in and then you've got something to play with. And I think that's the sort of, that's why it's fun. That's why people would do it for free is it's fun because, you know, get, jump on Zoom, 
dick around for 15 minutes yeah. and go home and then it goes out as a seven minute and you sound great when you kind of have rosie holt as the name for you know you're, that's who you is the selling point for the podcast but you're marketing it as another character who is hosting it how does that work is that is there an element of confusion there with h- how you're trying to market it who is going to be aware of who is real and who is a character yeah i think because i did a podcast uh, when i worked at something else now sony with Catherine parkinson and katie brand called women like us so it's a very similar that it was, it was just the two of them they were just you know playing two washed up old hacks who'd lost their columns and had decided podcasting the way right. forward and they had character names and we didn't put Catherine and katie's names in it in the in the artwork and we thought oh, it'd be really funny if people think it's real and we won't we won't let on and uh it, we we did the things we recorded and they just didn't get the listenership right and i think what we learned from that is um don't do soft launches just don't do them some will leave but then you know you need that uh, impetus so when we launched non-censored i was like well we could say you know play it with a completely straight face and go it's harriet langley swindon um What's that rule? There's nothing on the internet. There's no joke you can do on the internet that someone won't take seriously. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I know that too well. Rosie always <laughs> opens with, these are the highlights of my very real radio show. Yes. Which you'd think is a clue. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was the other thing I was going to say about the structure is that if you, because it's presented, we do it on a Friday because that's when people like topical comedy. Um, but also we present it as, oh, these are the best bits of this week's show. So we can do anything. Yeah. Like we can just clip however we want and go, oh, on Tuesday we had a conversation with so-and-so. And if that person's comments are now out of date, don't matter, because we're like, well, that was Tuesday. Yeah. That's the format that gives you the liberty to, to do anything. Um, back to the marketing, because Rosie Holt has a quarter of a million followers on Twitter, yeah. put her name on the logo. Right. Just, you know... <laughs> It destroys the artifice of the show, but it does mean people will find it. <laughs> yes. Well, this is it, right, Rosie, because you had so many people on your Twitter believing that the character you were doing was a real MP or yeah. a real horrible right-wing woman and were responding in kind. And I really enjoyed going through some of the comments and you going to Larry Lamb, not you too, Larry. <laughs> and then him being like, oh my God, you got me. You got me good. You know, things like that. It's brilliant. It's so funny. How does that work in terms of the podcast? Have you had a similar experience with that or are I people more engaged? Think so there was the, the Rishi clip was the, the Yeah, there's the got. Rishi clip was the most the most most we got. There was one really funny review which was like one star, this should be in the news section. Why is it in the ah. comedy? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. As you're saying, you know, your format is you are a little bit in debt, but it's also quite cheap to produce now because mm. everything's on Zoom. People are happy to give up their time. Is that something that you really had to consider when you were planning it? Were you like, this has to be as minimum output as possible in terms of money? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of slightly, you know, very English not to want to talk about money. But knowing that when you do a podcast, it, it could not get advertisers and therefore could not make money. And therefore, we were talking about this uh, Earlier this week, I think, mm. no, last week, um, if some, if one of us got offered some well-paid work that mm. was on a Thursday, then we couldn't, in all honesty, expect anyone. No one could expect the others to turn that down. And you know, that we're working around availabilities. Brendan's in rehearsals at the moment, so he can only record in the evenings. And then <laughs> I wasn't available in the evenings, and yeah. so so we're always um, compromising. And I think the I I, I would. L- <laughs> 
I would love to lower my standards so much <laughs> that we just go for seven minutes and then put out whatever we did. But that's not how comedy works, um, especially improv. Most improv. I mean, you're, you're, you're you know, Brendan's the proper yeah, improv yeah. guy, but I don't think he'd mind me saying most improv is awful um, <laughs> because it's just throwing out ideas out there. You know, do it with, do it <laughs> yeah. with confidence and people like it. Um, but I think, you know, you, you do need that editing process to make a good comedy product rather than just an entertaining product. Um, and because we also have that level of artifice in the show where it's not Rosie, it's Harriet, then you do need to sort of, whittle out inconsistencies that sort of detract from the the comic world of the mm. show so i think it yeah finding a sustainable production model where if it has to be finished on tuesday one week it'll be finished on tuesday one week if it has to be finished friday morning it'll be finished friday morning but none of us we're all happy to give up our time to do it for now because we're not missing out we, mm. yeah, we're working around the, the the paid stuff that keeps our rent paid right but i think yeah it is really important to think about how much time these things are going to take mm. and from your perspective how much time does it take for you in terms of you know you are presumably writing from some sort of script you've got to be across the the week's political events in some form or another <laughs> there's a whatsapp group i mean um it's right. It, it's very much kind of fitting around your life at the moment. And I think we all, well, you, you have to want to do it otherwise. Mm. <laughs> otherwise, why would you? Because, yeah. you know, obviously we're, we're hoping to, to make some money at some point, but we're still relatively new. Um, so we're still kind of building that following up. In terms of time, it takes me, it depends. I think certain things, because I have, there's a section of the show where I interview a real person. Yes. I think that that one always takes a bit more preparation uh, depending on who it is, sometimes you can kind of riff, but sometimes you have to think a bit more. But I think what's good is as we get more comfortable in the characters, the less preparation it takes because now we're kind of, it, you're more sure about what the characters would say. and You slip into Harriet interact. more easily. Yeah, completely. Whereas before... It, it was, <laughs> also, I mean, you build up running jokes. So Ishan fancies producer Martin's wife. Yes. They may Jane. have had a relationship. Jane. Yes, that's right. Um, and so that is now a sort of free joke. There's such a great history that we have of people interviewing other people in character and then getting them to say off-kilter things or things they wouldn't necessarily have admitted to otherwise, like with Mrs. Merton and Sasha Baron Cohen and all of his guises. Um, you've kind of had quite sympathetic guests on, like James O'Brien and Owen Jones was a good one. So what was the intention with that, with getting, your, you know, you're kind of, you're playing this right-wing character. Everyone knows that that's not really what you think. You're yeah. talking to left-wing, outward-spoken left-wing people. So tell us about how you approach those interviews. I think the idea of it was to 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 get them to kind of express their views and a, a lot of the people we've had on often do have to go on things like uh, talk radio or Good Morning Britain or things like that and often have to deal with quite sort of un, unsympathetic questions that perhaps are trying to provoke a reaction from them. So I think we were trying to play with that really. The fun of it being that because they're kind of in on it, they can kind of react how maybe they'd, they'd want to, which they can't really in real life. We had uh, Chris Atkins on, who's who's brilliant, who's uh, written an incredible book about uh, being in prison and, and really critical about the justice system. And he got quite angry. Um, we he sort of said beforehand, he said, "Can can I can I get angry?" We're like, sure, yeah. yeah. There was one point where you're going, is he 
Is he really? Is he really? I did okay? think he's not going to let us use this. He's so angry. <laughs> really? And then as soon as we went, Chris Atkins, thank you. And he went, was that all right? Was that oh. All right? oh my god! Oh, yeah. Goodness. I think he found it quite cathartic. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. But it's funny. I think it, it's great. I think we're now really getting into our groove with the interviews. And to to begin with, um, it, you're you're kind of finding your feet and kind of going, how does this work? Mm. And what's the the tone? Um, but they're really fun to do, and I think people have fun with them because you can kind of play it how you want. Yeah, as an interviewee, if, if we get the questions right, which, uh, Rosie gets the questions right because she writes most of them. It's that um, if they respond seriously or stupidly, it doesn't matter. Mm. But normally, it's we're going to ask the stupidest possible phrasing of a question. You can respond to the subtext. So my favourite question that you've written is uh, asking Owen Jones. You say you're a socialist. Is that true, or do you just like losing? <laughs> <laughs> Allows Owen, you know, obviously knows what what the the question is. He gets to talk about is socialism a viable political movement? Mm-hmm. Like, could that ever get elected in the UK? But we've set him up with a joke yeah. that just means the listeners go, "Oh, that was funny," and then they listen to ninety seconds of him saying, "Well, I think there is support for these things." But when it's called, you know, yeah. and actually a, a, a more nuanced answer. And on the other hand, um, we did ask Jonathan Pye or Tom Walker plays Jonathan Pye, what's harder. Writing a joke or calling the prime minister a cunt, which is a could be taken, and I I think I told him that one before uh, because that could be taken as a very pointed criticism of what he does. Yeah. But then he acknowledged that like base abuse is part of comedy, and yeah. actually sometimes it works, and and sometimes you actually want to write a thing. And then he was like talk about how I'm not going to spend time writing good jokes for Twitter. You have to pay for a ticket if you want to see. <laughs> yeah. the good yeah. stuff. And so you get really interesting questions by asking. Like, like not expecting them to engage directly with a question, yes. but instead respond to the subtext. And we've had some people who play up to it, and we've had some people who, like David Allen Green, um, decided that he would respond exactly the same way that if he was asked on like on mm-hmm. any other show, and it worked really well. In fact, it got more as he refused to be baited, and yeah. Rosie was getting more and more extreme about lefty <laughs> lawyers, and David's just going, "No, that's not how it works." Yeah. I'm afraid. <laughs> I think you listened to that one. Um, what about getting right wing people on? And so how- so far, we've had two right wingers on. We've had Ian Dale, yeah, um, who was really really up for it, um, which is very funny. He was just really he was just really silly. And Jeff Norcott, who's yes. just a brilliant comedian. And plays on that, right? And plays on it, yeah. And he almost became more left-wing <laughs> during the well, conversation. I, yeah, I think, uh, and you both flip that. Rosie has to outflank them, because if, yes. if she is mocking them from one side, then it doesn't quite work. Yeah. So she had to... Like she was making fun of Ian Dale, he was saying how some of his hard-edged Thatcherite lines have been knocked off him by doing phone-in because you're talking to real people and, you know, it's all very well to have a Thatcherite principle, but, you know, then you talk to real people who are struggling with bills and you go, oh, maybe the economy isn't working for everyone. And uh, and so Rosie, you're like, oh, so you've been radicalised by your audience. You should stop <laughs> listening to them. So she had to position herself as a more hardline Thatcherite, yeah. which gives him the space to answer honestly and openly and filthily in some instances about <laughs> his political beliefs without feeling like he's being attacked because he knows that the person in front of him is a cartoon and doesn't have yeah. to be taken seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Going right into the weeds, who who are you hosted with? What's the... Audio boom. Your audio boom, okay. And what's the support been like there? What, what have they done for you in terms of promoting it and... 
we gave them a trail which they put out across their network. Um, I think that's you know sort of the the launch they did, but obviously there we're on their. Uh, we were immediately put on their host read scheme so that uh, we weren't waiting to hit a certain, you know, like I think with ACAST uh, and actually with, with, with paid plans where we were paying for the hosting ourselves. Once you hit a certain number of downloads, they'll go, oh, do you want to monetize that? And we were putting that from the start. They sort of, um, we spoke to a couple of people about where to host it with and they were sort of offered the most, uh, as we saw it, support without also um any sort of interference yeah that's interesting i thought i honestly thought it it felt so much and i know this might sound a bit weird but it sounded like a dax show like something in the global stable just because i saw james o'brien on there and obviously you've got ian dale felt like there was a lot of talent that was coming from global that you will could have played a lot that that's that's the people we're parodying yeah so it makes sense to get those people on and do you feel like you know you've managed to translate the character into a podcast format that you own um how has it been with the kind of taking the the twitter followers with you have you got like a target in mind of how much of a percent not all of them are going to come but like do you know how many you're kind of looking at to try and bring over from your would be great if you could get all of them yeah that would would be very very lucrative (laughs) we call um i think uh, because it's hard isn't it yeah Yeah, it's hard hard. i think twitter it, it feels like there's a lot of interaction about podcasts on there but actually getting them into mm. followers is hard uh, uh, helen zaltzman uh, who knows a lot more about podcasting than almost anyone else in the country uh, has this theory you can persuade 10 percent of your audience to do anything so if rosie has a quarter of a million twitter followers you can probably persuade 10 percent of them to listen to a podcast so that's sort of the first benchmark to that's the to. target yeah um, and then you know uh, we haven't thought that far ahead but in, in in helen's rules if we were then to like say do you want to fund a Patreon? We'd get ten percent of them because it's ten percent of the podcast mm-hmm. audience who would then be willing to pay. And so you're sort of constantly winnowing. But every time you ask people to do something that isn't the easiest possible thing, you lose ninety percent of your audience. We haven't yet talked about your background in radio comedy and about how radio comedy is is that different from podcast comedy? Because I feel like it's harder to commission comedy on the radio than it is in podcasting. Yeah, um, I think the, How does the, that change the principles of audio comedy are exactly the same. Mm-hmm. What's different are the parameters you're working in. So uh, perfect example is if I'm making John Finnemore's souvenir programme and the show is 27 minutes and 30 seconds, then if I'm looking at it and going, I could cut that joke. I could cut that joke. I just, you know, that's not really, but I can't. Because I have to hand in 27 minutes and mm-hmm. 30 seconds minimum. Similarly, if the show is 28 minutes and 15 seconds, I have to cut something. Yeah. It doesn't matter how good it is. I have to cut something yeah. to make that show work. Um, whereas in podcasting, I think a lot of people don't edit because they don't have to. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, because on a fundamental existential level none of this has to happen. Yeah. Like, no one asked us to do yeah. this. We decided to do it. Yeah. And so if you're going... Every, so it's actually more pressure. You go, does that earn its place? Does that earn its place? Does that mm-hmm. earn its place? And before long, you're having an anxiety attack and deleting the whole episode. Because <laughs> it's like, well, no, no, none of this really needs to be said. Um, I think people have probably done these jokes on Twitter already. Um, so I think... But the principles of how you tell a good joke on radio, like... 
it's if you imagine doing the news quizzing character, that's what we're doing. I mean, mm-hmm. what we're doing is basically the Colbert Report, um, the, the American TV show, but on radio. So the principles of the jokes are exactly the same. Um, and the other difference, of course, is with a, a radio show, you get a budget. Yeah. So you pay for people's time. You know, and I was uh, I was in the studio making a Radio 4 sitcom a couple of weeks ago. And <laughs> the vagaries of scheduling, I had to ask someone to come in at 10 o'clock, work for 45 minutes, and then not do anything else for two hours because they didn't have any other scenes. But I needed to get through someone else's scenes because they weren't available and sort of that. And you feel bad about that. But on the other hand, I'm paying them. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. sit down, have a coffee. Yes. I'll call you when I need you. Um, and in podcasting, that's just not true. Mm-hmm. So you have to make it a lot easier for people. Hence, remote recording. Mm-hmm. like, hey, when can you do? And they'll, you know, they'll say, oh, I can do, you know, we say, can you do seven? And they'll go, I could do 6.30. Right, we'll change mm-hmm. to make it easier for you. Mm. In terms of like the rest of the market in the area that you're working in, which other podcasts have inspired areas of non-censored? The big one for me is uh, Dear Joan and Jerrica, yes. which is so brilliant which if anyone doesn't listen to, they should. Um, it's Julia Davison and, and Vicky Pepperdine and they're playing two agony aunts. You've listened yeah, to yeah, it, yeah. yeah. And two agony aunts um, g- giving advice and their advice is horrific and terrible. Um, <laughs> I like it. It's the kind of podcast you remember where you are when you heard it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, they're just, they're basically misogynists. Yeah. They give, oh, they're really sympathetic to the men and they're really critical of all the women. And it's so funny. And it's so mean. And there are some things they say and I, I'm kind of going, I can't believe, I can't believe they got away with that. <laughs> and I also listen to lots of news podcasts. Mm. Yeah, I listen to you know, the, the Guardian Focus and um, and the Spectator Shots, which are a bit more chatty. And, you know, they usually discuss an article that one person has written. Like I went on a Spectator episode where they were talking, some guy had, had, I can't remember his name, he'd written an article about how, oh, you, it was literally, you can't say anything anymore. <laughs> and he was saying, why can't, I remember the good old days of Little Britain, why can't you joke about that anymore? And I was going, wow. And I was there as, as the other side, I guess. The description of our podcast is, you can't say anything these days and here's a podcast to prove yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it's it is funny because those podcasts, when especially when someone's talking about how they can't say anything anymore, and and they are, as yeah. Ed says, they're saying it. Um, so I think that's something we have really have fun with in the podcast. You're so in tune with what Harriet would say. Yeah. I mean, to go back to the point about what a character can say that a uh, a, a real person can't. We had this joke about how um, with with Chris Pincher. Uh, who's alleged to have committed uh, some sexual harassment or sexual abuse. I don't know how you describe it. Um, but uh, because it's allegations at this stage, and so legally you can't say he definitely did it. But Harriet could say, of course, there's been sexual harassment in Westminster for ages, but now it's happening to men. So people yes. care about yeah. it, yeah. which is actually a pretty good point what but, everyone was thinking but, anyway but if yeah. we turn that into a joke it's yeah. sort of sort of very it's very crass for someone who to to use that in a gag mm-hmm. whereas if a character expresses it as an opinion you're like yeah that is what you'd think mm. it is yeah no it's it's worse when it happens to men because mm. that's what the character would stupidly yeah. believe yeah. and so i think we've built up that knowledge of you know martin um you know he's got dogs now yeah. Um, we've learned a lot about Harriet's private life in yeah. some interviews. 
Yeah, um, flying you've... flying men over. <laughs> she's just yeah, she's just a, a way more open marriage than I imagined <laughs> at the start. Um, she just entertains a lot of men. Yeah. <laughs> they talk about Thatcher together. <laughs> I'm sure they do. If you were to kind of go back to the beginning, streamlining or whatever, if you had your time over again, what would you do differently? I don't know because it's sort of a, just a it's a le- learning a is kind of how you you get better with it <laughs> such a, well, I also don't think such a wise thing to say I don't Rosie. think we've <laughs> like I think we've, learning is good yeah stay in school no kids no regrets <laughs> you get better by doing that's just the more yeah. you do something the better you get so it's inevitable that I'm going to enjoy the 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 most recent episodes more than the old I mean I listen back to um old radio shows I made even something like John Finnwell souvenir program um is on, was on sounds recently and I sort of looked at it and it, it feels really slow mm. compared to series seven, eight, nine, slightly different because we didn't have an audience. But you go, oh, I, why did I leave that like that long applause into the next? I could have I could have saved four seconds. I could, probably could have got that extra joke in. Because you know? <laughs> it needs to be 27 minutes and 30 yeah. seconds or whatever it is. Well, yeah. no, I, I must have cut something. But, <laughs> the, um, but I think, yeah, so the fact that the... Improv sections, especially with Ishan, because Ishan's there every week. Mm. I think we did like, it's eight minutes, eight, seven or eight minutes in this week's show, and we did we did ten, mm. and we just we sometimes we'll get to an extra point and we'll go, um, you know, in the other days we're going, oh maybe we should tackle this point and we keep going, and now we're just like, yeah, we've got enough, we mm-hmm. we know what we've got, um, but also because we did the planning beforehand of what's sustainable, so like. Rosie's time for writing and Brenda's time for writing um, is one thing, but we we can't ask people to rehearse a sketch and record a sketch and do multiple takes. It is, do you want to come and dick about? Yeah. So that because that's the thing we can afford to make. Um, so I think it it wouldn't that those principles are still the same mm. that they were when we started. That, that is that production schedule. Rosie Holt, Ed Morris, thank you so much for joining us. That was utterly illuminating. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So that was Rosie Holt and Ed Morris talking about non-censored. So much to think about after that chat and loads I hadn't really thought about before, um, especially in terms of satire and how close to the bone you can get. Uh, What really stood out for you, Adam? So one of the things I found quite interesting is what Ed was saying around the fact that, you know, it's not really highly monetized yet the podcast Uh so they're still effectively he said they're still in debt from kind of paying for uh production resource and and for people's time so they're very limited in what they can invest into the podcast Uh and so they've had to work quite creatively around that to do things cheaply by working with kind of friends and contacts who are willing to drop in and give them kind of an hour or so of their time. But I think those kinds of resource constraints encourage creative thinking in how you kind of plan and devise your podcast. And really, it's interesting seeing what you can do with not very much Mm -hmm. Do you think that from what we, you know, the people that we've spoken to, do you think that is a real kind of common theme now in podcasting that actually barely any people are making the big bucks? And there is, again, with it, as with anything, that's kind of small minority, which we might see quite a lot of in the charts and everything like that, as we were talking about at the top of the show. But 
do you think actually for these people it's going to be viable in the long term to keep putting out these podcasts if they're not making any money if they're losing money doing it i mean the great hope with podcasts is because they're on demand that you can monetize your back catalog so even if you're uh, episodes aren't covering their costs um, in the short term. You know, the hope is that there's a breakout moment that the podcast suddenly acquires a certain level of audience that then discover the back catalogue and make it worthwhile. So there's a certain amount of hope in terms of the economics of podcasting mm-hmm. that you invest for an amount of time, build a good product, market it well, and when the audience arrives, they've got a great back catalogue to explore and you can monetize. But yes, I think it is probably very healthy when you start out is to have an exit strategy. Like, what? when is when do you pull the plug? How many mm. series will you do before you decide whether it's working or not? Um, because you could convince yourself for a long time that a, a show is going to be a hit um, without it actually ever being able to make its money back. Mm. I wonder also sometimes with um, political podcasts, because we've talked quite a lot on PodPod about news podcasts and about how they're doing incredibly well at the moment and have been kind of ramping up even more because they're, because the news has been so turbulent. There's been so much to discuss. Every day there was some kind of breaking news in the government or whatever. And I wonder if with kind of political satire, it, it's almost kind of going into an already saturated market, which it wouldn't normally be oversaturated, except that people have are thinking about the insane nature of politics at the moment is that then a harder field to make into comedy because people it's so close to home and trying to find the comedy in it is actually quite difficult when as we know people's lives have been affected so so dramatically in the past few months I don't know I just I'm just thinking out loud here if that is if that's a harder time to actually break into this field well, if anyone can do it, Ed can. As Matt noted, he's a, a seasoned veteran of political satire. And I think what's really interesting about things like Nonsensored is, in many ways, I think it makes sort of turbulent times easier to to deal with mm-hmm. by adding a, a bit of levity to what what can be a, a quite depressing situation mm. in a lot of cases. And having that kind of outlet for those feelings, I think, can be quite helpful. Mm-hmm. And certainly in terms of saturation point, I don't think podcasting is anywhere near that yet. But also in terms of the way in which people think about political commentary and satire, you know, there have been some big shows that we've covered on this series, which have launched this year that are big successes and everyone's talking about, Mm -hmm. but they are only playing to certain audiences. And actually, you know, when you're looking at trying to engage people in politics and current affairs beyond the kind of like the traditional political wonkery, that's, I think, an audience which is underserved still. And actually, Rosie is doing an amazing job at reaching out to. I really enjoyed her talking about Chris Atkins, who has uh, written a book about being in prison. He's incredibly critical of the justice system and how he kind of used this platform to get really genuinely angry about it, but was also able to say everything that he wanted to say in, in a, I guess, a safe space, but with, a, with it kind of feeling like a 
not very safe space. So he's almost using Rosie as a somebody as the face of everybody that he's wanted to scream and shout at for the past however many years and found it actually quite cathartic in the end. I, re- I kind of really like that idea. That's not something I thought about from a guest perspective before. If you go on something like Question Time or these other platforms that you do have to have these balanced debates at, that can be incredibly frustrating not being able to mm. get your point across. So this must have been amazing just to really let rip. I'm sure mm. Rosie is available for consultancy. <laughs> just just literally as a kind of talking therapy. <laughs> well, one of the uh, really, really entertaining points for me in that discussion was the amount of people that they were saying that did actually take it seriously and were, were saying, like, why isn't this in the news section? Which is... <laughs> yes. uh, Entertaining, but also possibly a bit of a damning indictment of uh, the state of current political commentary. Oh my goodness, that's really quite... It's a little bit alarming, isn't it? It is. Thank you so much for listening. That was really, really interesting. Find out more on podpod.com. Sign up to our daily email bulletins and follow us on social at podpodofficial. Do subscribe to make sure that you never miss an episode and it would be lovely to get a rating or even a review from you as well. Thank you so much to our contributors, Matt Hill and Adam Shepherd, and a huge thanks to Rosie Holt and Ed Morris for joining us to talk about Non-Censored. The podcast is produced by Emma Corsham for Haymarket Business Media, and I'm your host, Rihanna Dillon, and I'll see you next week. Bye. 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 Bye.